Thank you very much for inviting me to talk here. It's a, a great pleasure. Um, I'll um, begin by explaining the word diaspora. It's um, slightly um, different. It's a take on uh, the Bengali word para, which is uh, neighborhood. And um, um, so I'm kind of looking at the connections uh, between Anglo-Indian and Chinese communities in Calcutta through the space of neighborhood and how uh, the memory of the neighborhood uh, carries over in diaspora. Um, this research was uh, carried out as part of my PhD project, uh, which was again part of a broader project uh, funded by the Neighborhood Trust uh, called the Diaspora Cities, which focused on um, four minority communities from Calcutta, so the Anglo-Indian, the Chinese, um, the Jewish community, and the Brahmo community, which is a small Hindu religious um, sect, and their migration to London, Toronto, and other cities in um, Israel. One of the aims in my PhD was to look at the connections across uh, two different communities. Uh, usually, a research on diaspora follows um, the history and of one particular community, but I was interested in the connections between two um, minority communities in the city, and I guess that's how it it draws on on the theme of everyday multiculturalism, uh, which is the theme of the seminar series. Um, I'll begin with uh, two anecdotes, um, which which I I got from my um, research. One was um, a story told to me by an elderly Anglo-Indian gentleman in um, Toronto. And uh, I was up talking to him about the connections between the Anglo-Indian and the Chinese and the friendships uh, across the two communities. Uh, the Chinese community in Calcutta, as in some other cities, uh, specialized in, in, in leather trade. So they're uh, very well known for uh, their shoe shops. Uh, alongside leather tanneries. So this Anglo-Indian gentleman one day found himself in um, an elevator with a young Chinese man. Um, and he was wearing a, a prized shoe that he had from, from Calcutta made by a Chinese uh, shoemaker. Uh, the two, two men did not know each other. And suddenly this young uh, Chinese uh, man asked the Anglo-Indian gentleman, are you from Calcutta? So uh, the Anglo-Indian man was a bit surprised, uh, but he said, yes, but why do you ask? He said, because that's my Uncle Henry's shoes you're wearing. <laughs> so the Anglo-Indian man was a bit taken aback, but it was stories of this kind that um, kind of made me want to explore a bit more as to what those connections between the two communities meant and how those connections, which were generally, but not always, forged in the space of the neighborhood, carried across in diaspora in other cities. So I guess um, what I'm basically concerned uh, in this paper is, is to find out how memories of everyday culturalism travel and how that influences the experience of everyday multiculturalism in uh, the destination cities. 
And with this, I start with uh, two photos of uh, the World Anglo-Indian Reunion in Toronto in 2007. These reunions are held um, every two years at different locations all over the world. Uh, next year, it's going to be in Calcutta after uh, a very long time. Um, so that's a cake showing the flags of Canada and India. And this was um, part of an, a symposium which was put together. And uh, this was a poster with photographs of memorable places in, in Calcutta that had been um, put on. But, I mean, these kind of community events are, of course, important spaces through which a kind of everyday multiculturalism is negotiated. And it is quite significant for uh, invisible communities like the Anglo-Indian and the Chinese. Uh, invisible because uh, the Anglo-Indians are um, kind of grouped under a wider South Asian diaspora without their particular identity um, uh, being focused on. And the Chinese from Calcutta are similarly uh, merged within the wider Chinese um, diaspora. Now, when I went to this uh, reunion, um, I actually met many of my um, Chinese contacts. So these were Calcutta Chinese who had come to the Anglo-Indian reunion in search of their Anglo-Indian friends who they had met and neighbors who they had uh, met several years, sometimes 40 years ago in, in um, Calcutta. Um, and they just wanted to um, catch up. So um, to draw on these um, kind of connections, I, I draw on, on the literature on uh, diaspora cities and memory, particularly focusing on the neighborhood. Um, and in this, uh, I mean, the city has been viewed as the theater of memory by Boye. Um, uh, Smriti Srinivas has studied different, what she calls, landscapes of memory in, um, created by different communities in a city like Bangalore. Um, similarly, uh, Amy Mills has studied the politics of, of this memory of a cosmopolitan neighborhood and how it, uh, it, is, um, it has been used to regenerate parts of a particular neighborhood called Kuzgunchuk in uh, Istanbul. Um, Sophie Watson has also, in her study on, on public spaces, focused on how this uh, nostalgia for a cosmopolitan past, uh, a discourse which I came across uh, while interviewing the Anglo-Indian Chinese, this, this memory, this nostalgia for a cosmopolitan Calcutta, and uh, kind of contrasting it with uh, the multiculturalism in, in uh, their lives in multicultural Toronto. Um, so Sophie Watson's uh, research on how um, this nostalgia for a cosmopolitan past can mask social differences. That's another research that I draw on. Um, finally, Ashish Nundi's um, idea about tacit memories, uh, where Ashish Nundi talks about, um, he writes about Cochin, a city in uh, southern India and in Kerala. And uh, he searches for an alternative cosmopolitanism. It's, um, what he says is that there are public memories of the community, there are public memories of cosmopolitanism in a city, but communities and individuals have a secret self, a self which is known just to the com communities, which he calls um, tacit memories. 
And it's these tacit memories um, that I wanted to interrogate. Methodologically, um, I have, uh, I should also say that this paper, part of this paper has been uh, published in the journal South Asian Diaspora just in March 2012. And um, it's, uh, so it, it draws from that paper. But it's also, uh, the, the methodology is also something that I'm thinking about in, in, in thinking through how we study memory spaces, uh, particularly connecting uh, places across diaspora. So um, the material for this paper draws on narratives gathered from 37 semi-structured interviews with 63 Anglo-Indian women and men and 44 interviews with 65 Chinese uh, women and men living in Calcutta, London, and Toronto. But I also focus on maps, memory maps of the city. And uh, the last part of this paper draws on these maps to see how memories of Calcutta, memories of neighborhoods in Calcutta kind of travel across um, diaspora. So these maps are uh, quite important because they reveal cartographies of the remembered city that focus on particular neighborhoods, sites and routes, and map the distinctive and contrasting landscapes of Anglo-Indian and Chinese Calcutta. So I'll follow uh, this order. First I'll talk a bit about Anglo-Indian and Chinese neighborhoods in Calcutta um, and how uh, these neighborhoods were narrated uh, as a cosmopolitan place, as a place uh, of encounter, but also as a community space within a particular community memory. Then I'm going to speak briefly about uh, the move to London and Toronto um, and how uh, that changed the lives of the two communities. And finally, I'm going to uh, talk about um, the process of remembering Anglo-Indian and Chinese neighborhoods narrated particularly through these um, memory maps. Both Anglo-Indian and Chinese communities uh, have usually concentrated in particular areas in Calcutta, particular neighborhoods. Whilst both communities increasingly lived away from specific community neighborhoods, certain areas of the city remain di distinctly identifiable as Anglo-Indian or Chinese. There are two Chinatowns in um, Calcutta. The photo to the right is the one in central Calcutta, which is called Tina Para. Para is again a neighborhood. Uh, I'm going, and uh, the second one is Tangra, uh, which is um, slightly outside the city center, and it developed more as a walled space. So the central um, Chinatown was inhabited more by uh, the Cantonese and was more mixed in contrast to Tangra, which was almost uniformly Chinese um, and grew up, uh, it, it, it was a walled area uh, with uh, tanneries, and this is the site of the old school, and the, which is now a market, actually. Um, much like the Chinese, Anglo-Indians have concentrated in few areas of the city, mainly in central Calcutta, around Bobazar, Elliot Road, 
Wellesley, Ripon Street. Um, this is a photo of Newmarket, um, which is again in central Calcutta, which is a site of particular uh, nostalgia for both not just Anglo-Indian, but also um, the Chinese community. The idea of the neighborhood or para has been an important part of a consciousness of living in a city like Calcutta and in generally in India. In other cities in India, for example, there are uh, terms like uh, the mahalla or uh, the poles in Gujarat, which denote this idea of, 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 of the neighborhood. Many Anglo-Indian and Chinese Calcutans draw on the notion of the para to describe the neighborhood they lived in. While the term para is rooted in a Bengali consciousness of life in an urban locality, it also draws on a meaning of community and sociability and often cuts across ethnic and or class lines. The use of the para in this presentation goes beyond a straightforward translation of meaning and instead juxtaposes Anglo-Indian and Chinese narratives of everyday lived space with their idea of dwelling in a Bengali city. A sense of a para can be described at two levels. One is at the level of cognition of an area of the city, while the other refers to a sense of territorial belonging and everyday interaction on a smaller scale. Communities like the Anglo-Indian and the Chinese were also associated with particular areas, and indeed, till around the 1980s, uh, both communities lived in very specific areas of the city, as I just mentioned. This overall cognition also became part of Anglo-Indian and Chinese knowledge of the city, and both communities continue to view their presence in Calcutta through these areas. The cognition of the para on this broader scale often produced a community narrative which was insular. Even the differences between paras which were mentioned were along community lines. So for example, Derek, an Anglo-Indian man who lives in Calcutta, says that before there were some areas which were exclusively Anglo-Indian. Most people who lived there were Anglo-Indians. There were buildings and mansions which were exclusively Anglo-Indian. Um, so there were not just areas, but also buildings and mansions. And it was centered around central Calcutta. Over the last decade and a half, Anglo-Indians have moved out to Picnic Gardens and Behala, which are neighborhoods to the <coughs> south and the east of the city. So you can't exclusively call an area Anglo-Indian. Anglo-Indians also spoke of differences between paras, which formed part of the community's inside knowledge. So part of what Ashish Nondi was talking about, tacit memories. They spoke of socioeconomic differences between neighborhoods and also cultural differences. So in, in, within Calcutta, for example, there is this cultural divide between North Calcutta and South Calcutta. And Derek also draws on that and said there was this North Calcutta, South Calcutta thing. So there would be differences in the way people talked or conducted themselves, uh, say, between Park Circus and Bow Street and Central Calcutta. For the Chinese community, the cognition of Chinese paras was divided between Chinapara and um, Tangra. 
and the differences between these areas were described through particular ways of living in each of these neighborhoods. So whilst Chinapara, which is in central Calcutta and its surrounding areas, were described as more mixed, Tang represented an image of a more homogeneous uh, neighborhood. Talking about the differences between the two neighborhoods, Brenda Chen, who grew up in Tangra but now lives in Toronto, she says that I think the mentality was different. They, the Chinapara Chinese, tended to socialize more with other ethnic communities. So for example, the Chinatown Chinese or the Chinapara Chinese laughed at your Hindi. Their Hindi was less broken. We never bothered to learn it. Our Hindi was different. There was a lot of mocking from them. There are also differences in terms of upbringing. In Tangra, 98% of individuals were earning from tanneries. It was different from the people in Chinatown. Even in Toronto, if we find Hakka Chinese, the funny thing is we shake hands and ask, where are you from? If you're coming from Calcutta, she means uh, the central Calcutta Chinatown, there is a link. But if you're from Tangra, we immediately zoom in and say, okay, which tannery? And then once that is established, then which family? The connection is stronger. The Chinapara Chinese lived a more cosmopolitan life. And when I studied the connections between the Anglo-Indians and the Chinese, it was the Chinapara Chinese who were more Cantonese, who had a more anglicized education, who had more Anglo-Indian friends. Though the younger generation of the Tangra Chinese go uh, to what's called the English medium schools and have Anglo-Indian um, friends as well. So besides using the idea of the neighborhood to narrate what characterizes uh, Anglo-Indian and or Chinese Calcutta and explain differences within the community, for both communities, the neighborhood is an important space for expressing a sense of belonging to the city, as well as a space where interactions and friendships between the two communities took place. Um, there is, I wouldn't say a sizable, but a community of Anglo-Chinese uh, population in, in Calcutta too, and I interviewed um, some of them. And many of them express the friendship and intermarriages between these two communities, again, through the space of the neighborhood. So when I asked how, how they got married, how they met, and they said, oh, we just you know lived in the same area, and so we just got married, and we were friends. So it's the memories of these spaces of dwelling and interaction amongst diasporic Anglo-Indian and Chinese Calcutta's that I will now talk about. I'll uh, move on to talking about the migration from Calcutta to London and Toronto now. Members of Anglo-Indian and Chinese communities have migrated from Calcutta at different times and for a range of reasons. The main trigger for migration occurred in the 1950s and 1960s. The immediate post-independence and partition period was a time of turmoil for minority communities like the Anglo-Indian and Chinese as much as it was for the wider population. An ambivalent sense of belonging, for example, led many Anglo-Indians to migrate to Britain. The effects of political decolonization was different from commercial decolonization, which took place later in the 1960s. Uh, India got its independence and was partitioned in 1947. 
And the 1960s migration led um, to a different trend of migration. Um, Anglo-Indians had, under the colonial government, had particular jobs uh, reserved for them. So many of them worked in the public sector, in the railways, uh, many were teachers. Um, so this job quota was removed in the 1960s um, when uh, there was uh, commercial decolonization. So many, apart from uh, facing um, an insecure sense of uh, belonging, many of them actually lost uh, their jobs and uh, moved uh, to Britain. The exodus in the earlier case was more to Britain, whereas later it was to Australia and Canada, mainly due to different immigration policies of these countries. While some Chinese Calcutans also migrated in the post-independence and partition period, a large number were forced to migrate after the Sino-Indian War in 1962. Uh, this was a particularly painful time for uh, the Calcutta Chinese community, as well as um, the smaller Chinese communities which were present in um, northeastern India um, and other cities. Um, because uh, many of them, uh, well, their um, papers were taken away. Many of them were sent to uh, an internment camp in um, Rajasthan, uh, in, uh, in a small uh, place called Devli, uh, because they were perceived to be the enemy. The Cantonese Chinese, uh, who lived mainly in the central Calcutta Chinatown, uh, were particularly affected as they worked in sensitive areas such as the docks, and lost their jobs. Many were deported back to China from an internment camp from in Rajasthan. So the political instability of the post-1962 period affected the Chinese community um, particularly, and their own ambiguous national identity. Many Chinese Calcutans became stateless after the creation of Communist China in 1949. There was the divide between um, in the Kuomintang and the communist supporters within the community in Calcutta itself. Most Hakka Chinese, on the other hand, the ones who lived in, in Tangra, um, emigrated in the 1980s, and that was more uh, because of economic reason. Um, the Supreme Court um, directed um, the tanneries to close down because of environmental reasons, and many had to just um, give up their tanneries and move um, to Toronto. So migration of both Anglo-Indian and Chinese communities continues still today for reasons indirectly related to uh, these political events as well as for economic reasons. One of the implications of these often large-scale but also continuous migration has been the steady disappearance of what may describe as Anglo-Indian or Chinese Calcutta. The decline in the physical concentration of these communities has led to a sense of the loss of neighborhood. These changes are usually described in terms of migration of both communities to other parts of the city or outside the city. So Noel, for example, who lives in Calcutta, he says that basically many Chinese and Anglo-Indians have moved out and you will find that those areas have changed. Uh, the life spent over there was different, and I've got a few Muslim friends who say they used to love going there because it was a different sort of lifestyle. 
It used to pulsate with life, and now it is not the same. Earlier, if I wanted to hear musical bandbox, a program on radio, I had two options, either stay at home or listen to it on the radio, or move around these places, these Anglo-Indian neighborhoods, and I would hear it anyways, because everyone had the musical bandbox on at that time. Then there was what Anglo-Indians call their Sunday dish, the yellow rice and the kofta curry, and whenever you went, you had that aroma. There was this close, happy-go-lucky thing. There was no tension and no sense of insecurity. The lament that Noel expressed is also shared by the Chinese community who lived in and around um, Chinapara. So Julie Hu, who grew up in uh, Chinapara, the central Calcutta Chinatown, um, and now lives in Toronto, um, says that maybe my neighbors were less and less Chinese because they all moved abroad. I remember when I was younger, the compound, um, the area had around 30, 40 Chinese. You could see them sitting outside on hot days. Our doors were never shut because everyone was welcome. But as we grew up, the doors started closing because there were not that many Chinese families uh, left. Our landlord rented it out to someone, usually a storage company. And that's part of the wider uh, urban change which was taking place in those uh, areas in Calcutta. So wider commercialization of these areas along with the changing demography is a significant part of a narrative of loss for those who lived in those areas. For many, this large-scale migration of community members invariably meant an end to an Anglo-Indian Chinese neighborhoods in the city. So for David Chung, for example, um, who, who lives, who's, still, who's a Hakka Chinese uh, and still lives in Calcutta, He's, it was a part of Calcutta that he was familiar with that disappeared. As he said, Anglo-Indians are going away, lots of Muslims coming in. Our locality also, has also uh, been filled with other communities. So whilst emigration changed the actual nature of the neighborhoods in Calcutta and created a narrative of loss in the city, the memory of these neighborhoods live on amidst the diaspora in London and Toronto. Um, so while the neighborhood was seen as a community space, again, uh, to reassert my point, the neighborhood was also seen as a space where, um, let's say, the Anglo-Indians and Chinese interacted. So it, it, it was never a very simple, straightforward connection between relating these uh, narratives to a particular place in the city and a particular community. So how are these Anglo-Indian? I'm going to talk first about uh, the memory of Anglo-Indian neighborhoods and then the Chinese neighborhoods. So whilst memory narratives, um, okay, before I start, I should say, I used the maps when, when I was doing um, the interviews, I found that both communities um, spoke a lot about their own community history, so their community identity, their presence in the city, and um, it wasn't getting me uh, anywhere in making them talk about the city and the neighborhood which I was interested in. Um, 
So we uh, thought of uh, introducing these memory maps. And I asked um, both Anglo-Indian and Chinese um, interviewees to draw a map of Calcutta, one of the wider city and one of the neighborhood um, that they lived in, um, to see how spaces in Calcutta um, were remembered. So whilst memory narratives of the wider city focus on a nostalgia for the good old days of community life, memories of the neighborhood revolve around the sense of being and belonging in everyday life. Nostalgia for neighborhood in Calcutta is contrasted with a sense of scattered existence in London and Toronto. Whereas Anglo-Indians in both cities, that's in London and Toronto, um, generally settled in specific areas a sense of an Anglo-Indian neighborhood has not developed. In London, for example, there is a concentration in southern suburbs of um, Croydon, Norwood, uh, Thornton Heath, and Wimbledon. Whereas in Toronto, Anglo-Indians have settled in more marked Asian neighborhoods like um, Brampton, Mississauga um, to the west, as well as some pockets in Scarborough and Markham um, and East Pickering in the east. But uh, as Timothy, who now lives in uh, London, explained, for someone in North London, it is impossible to know someone in South London. But when you think of Calcutta, you knew most of the Anglo-Indians. The lack of an identifiable Anglo-Indian area in the city has created a nostalgia for neighborhoods in Calcutta, which are remembered as a place of belonging in the city. So as Terence, who, who now lives in, he's a young Anglo-Indian, um, man living in Toronto, said so the way of life in Calcutta is more laid back. There is the hustle bustle, there is a neighborhood sense of existence, like people know who you are in your neighborhood. Here in Toronto, three houses down my road, I don't know my neighbors. But in Cal, you would know. It's not the same in Canada. There's a certain distance between people. It's very superficial. I miss the neighborhood. We also have many neighborhoods here in Canada. And sometimes I get a sense of a deja vu, uh, but you cannot replicate Cal anywhere. For Terence, the anonymity of everyday life in Toronto marks it differently from Calcutta, a sentiment which is also shared by Christine. Talking about the neighborhood where she lives in Scarborough in East Toronto, Christine said, in Calcutta we just walked out of the house and would meet someone. We would chat. In Toronto, initially it was quite lonely because you missed all your friends. In Calcutta, you walked two steps and met someone. Here, people are very reserved. So it's basically the same narrative uh, which kept, was kept on um, repeated. It, it was repeatedly um, uh, made. The Calcutta neighborhood in Christine's memory remains an unchanging place and provides a sense of stability. She remembers her neighborhood in central Calcutta through the places she had frequented in her everyday life. Oops. Can you, oh, okay, it has actually come off there probably. So this, this is the map um, drawn by um, Christine. And you can, um, you can see that there are particular places. So very anonymous. Uh, this is actually right across um, Newmarket, the photo that you uh, saw initially, that's, that's Newmarket there, and, and she lived around um, so cinemas and 
um, movie halls and the YWCA, um, their house, um, restaurants, and so on. Many memory maps of the neighborhood drawn by Anglo-Indian interviewees mark the physical spaces of the neighborhood. So um, let's look at Richard's map, which is also again, it's quite a detailed map. And what I was struck by was the fact that many of them had not been back to Calcutta for 30, 40, even 50 years. And many of them were very apprehensive as to whether they were drawing a very accurate map of the city. And so I had to kind of reassure them, saying I wasn't really looking for accuracy, and I was just looking to find out about the places that remained in their memory. But apart from very minor um, misrepresentations of geographical areas, if I can say, they were, they were quite accurate. Um, so apart from marking significant landmarks like the big park, and we, we actually spoke about once they had drawn the map, I asked them to take me through uh, the places that they had um, put down on the maps. So it, it, it became clear as to why these uh, places were important to them. Um, so apart from marking significant landmarks such as the big park, the church, and various mansions which dotted Park Circus, this is in Park Circus area, so <coughs> seven point um, crossing uh, there. Uh, the map also shows various shops, the Tuanas, um, kebab shop, the four and upper cycle uh, per hour cycle hire shop, the tea shop, the Margaret's store where he bought sweets, the pan shop on the corner shop, um, and the kite shop. The neighborhood in Calcutta is etched in Richard's memory through these unnamed places. Richard migrated to London in his early 20s, and the memory of the neighborhood is part of his childhood memories. In contrast, Alice uh, migrated when she was older, but also in 1962, and she remembers her neighborhood in central Calcutta more through iconic places such as, uh, sorry, I don't have Alice's uh, map somehow, uh, but Alice's map anyway um, shows uh, iconic places like uh, the Grand Hotel, Elite Cinema, and Newmarket, um, which she kind of uh, remembered. So while Richard and Alice's map marked places which were significant in remembering the neighborhood, Linda's map, and this is Linda's map, uh, is more indicative of spaces of personal memory that also found, formed part of the nostalgia for the city. Linda now lives in Toronto, but her memory of neighborhood finds resonance in narratives of other Anglo-Indians as well. And so here she talks about this little girl who she used to um, see and, and and again, everyday spaces uh, in the city. And this was, this was a very useful uh, methodology to make both communities talk about other communities. So let's say this little Down syndrome girl was not Anglo-Indian. Lakshmi was obviously not an Anglo-Indian. So it was a useful device to make them talk about uh, these inter-community um, connections. 
So it is often through these personal, often childhood memories of the neighborhood that the city is remembered in diaspora. As Linda said, memories of Calcutta are precious, but they are also childhood memories. I still look at those memories and treasure them. So whilst personal narratives of the city, such as those recounted by <coughs> Linda, Alice, and Richard, also find voice in the memories of Anglo-Indians from other cities, Calcutta memories are significant in exploring the specific networks that developed amongst Anglo-Indians in London and Toronto. Um, and these networks are uh, in London, for example, um, there is um, a group called the Calcutta Club, which is formed not just of Anglo-Indians, but other communities, all, all, anybody from Calcutta can do. They meet um, every second uh, Thursday of the month in a hotel near um, St. James Park. And uh, they talk. Some of them knew each other as neighbors back in Calcutta. Some of them didn't, and they just join and talk about Calcutta. So whereas neighborhood memories helped locate identity in Calcutta, migration to London added to a wider Anglo-Indian identity. Charles, for example, pointed out that although the majority of Anglo-Indians in London are from Calcutta or the railway, uh, small railway towns, there isn't that division amongst the Anglo-Indians there. So the ways in which they spoke about Anglo-Indians from different neighborhoods in Calcutta somehow got subsumed within a wider Anglo-Indian um, identity. So he says that once we got here, we were all Anglo-Indians from whichever part we came from. Similarly, Bernard, who, um, who migrated to Toronto in 1988, uh, pointed out that neighborhood-based identity that prevailed in Calcutta dissolved when one migrated. And so he says, I think you bond more here because in um, Calcutta, you ought to realize that people who lived in Kidapur never mixed with people who lived in Chandni because you had no reason to. But here you live in Mississauga or Brampton or Scarborough. You do your thing separately, but there are always occasions where you mix with each other. So that connections again is, is, is concentrated in particular space and also particular events, community events. Bernard's comment brings up issues in linking community identity and neighborhood over diaspora. It is indicative of how Anglo-Indian identities in Calcutta were rooted in class divisions, and at the same time, how such identity issues are negotiated in diaspora. Talking about neighborhoods in Toronto also frequently brought up the idea of Toronto as a multicultural city. In the context um, of the neighborhood, the idea of a multicultural Toronto places Anglo-Indian Calcutans in an in-between position. So that Anglo-Indians and the Chinese also spoke about um, that we are in Canada, we are in Toronto, and we are in a multicultural city. So we're all kind of performing our own identities. But unlike in London, where the invisibility had been somewhat unsettling in the context of colonial history, in Toronto, the community was placed within a wider South Asian um, community. Yet it is precisely in this context that a shared history and memory of the community based in Calcutta 
that provides a ground for a more nuanced understanding of Anglo-Indian identity. So David, uh, for example, who also uh, lives in uh, Toronto says, I think in Calcutta, people knew who you were more than people know who we are here in Toronto. So the located memory of Calcutta neighborhoods in this case acts as an anchor for a wider Anglo-Indian identity, albeit for those who are from the city. The Chinese memories of the neighborhoods, again, have, um, they are quite similar, but also quite different in the sense that um, the divide between the communities, uh, within the communities, played out differently. So uh, much like the, uh, the narratives, um, much like remembering, sorry, Anglo-Indian neighborhoods, uh, remembering Chinese neighborhoods in Toronto uh, involves narrating a loss, a connecting uh, memory with the physical spaces of the city, and also a changing narrative of community identity. Yet the sense of loss as expressed through nostalgia for Calcutta is also balanced by a significant proportion of the Calcutta Chinese community settling in Toronto. Calcutta Hakkas have migrated in large numbers to Toronto, and while other Chinese subgroups like the Cantonese and the Hupe have also made Toronto their home, the communities are um, far less, or less organized than the Hakka Chinese. Uh, the strong community network that has characterized the Calcutta Hakka community has almost reproduced itself in Toronto. And Toronto is an interesting uh, place to look at uh, a resurgence in Hakka community because there are Hakkas not just from India, uh, but also um, uh, the Caribbean, uh, Mauritius, and other places, um, South Africa, and the Hakka Chinese within the wider uh, Chinese diaspora um, are a neglected uh, group. So there's, in Toronto itself, for example, there are much wealthier Cantonese uh, diaspora who have created these huge uh, Chinese uh, super malls um, and things. And the Calcutta Hakkas are uh, very conscious of um, separating themselves and their identity from this wider Cantonese diaspora, uh, marking this divide between um, the Hakkas and the Cantonese. Um, York University, along with uh, different uh, Hakka organizations, have been um, organizing uh, what's called the Toronto Hakka Conference. Um, I think they've had three so far. Um, and that, the Calcutta Hakkas participate in that um, quite enthusiastically. So the presence of the Chinese community in Calcutta, as I mentioned earlier, revolves around the idea of the two Chinatowns, one in central Calcutta and the other in Tangra. While the two Chinatowns uphold different ways of living, community life in both neighborhoods revolved around specific community sites such as temples, schools, and associations. Memories of everyday spaces, as portrayed in several maps drawn by the Anglo-Indian interviewees, also featured in maps of Chinese neighborhoods. And uh, the next two maps are, are an interesting 
uh, contrast in the way uh, Tinapara and Tengra is remembered. So this is uh, Tinapara, which is in central Calcutta, and it marks these uh, well, very Chinese um, uh, places. Uh, the Sunday School and uh, the Ling Liang School, which was a Chinese school in the neighborhood, but also the home, um, the China Town uh, Market, the photo uh, which you saw earlier, and uh, these everyday places. Now, if you contrast that with maps of Tangra, you'll see that there are, again, everyday spaces, but they are very Chinese spaces. But not just that, the idea of Tangra within a wider Calcutta, the, the kind of view Tangra at the edge of the city, which uh, a, a fact which did not come through the maps of the Chinapara Chinese. So memories of Tangra for those who lived there framed uh, the memory of, of the city through um, that particular place. Continued migration from central Calcutta to Chinatown and a more mixed everyday space characterizing it with again more inter-community um, interaction um, has made Tangra a more visual Chinatown, and now actually the government is taking steps. Uh, they have constructed a huge, uh, almost stereotypical Chinese gate, and the Chinese community is um, participating quite actively in creating, uh, in upholding that Hakka identity in um, Calcutta. And uh, it, it comes from, I mean, the difference between the two Chinatowns comes, comes through um, Sarah Wang's uh, quote. She said, and she says that uh, the way the people lived in Calcutta was different. It was more scattered in Calcutta. And when the Calcutta Chinese community talk about Calcutta, they mean the central Calcutta Chinatown. Uh, and Tangra is always outside. So in Calcutta, there were more individual businesses and spaces, but in Tangra, they were more unified. Many, like Sarah, who grew up in central Calcutta, draw this sense of loss by narrating the decline in Tangra. Actually, the wider Calcutta Chinese community has been more distraught by this decline in, in Tangra. The decline in the central Calcutta Chinatown came in the immediate post-1962 period, and um, memories of that mixed space still linger on, let's say, through uh, friendships with Anglo-Indians and other communities. But the decline in Tangra is, is, is um, quite significant because it denotes a decline in the economic importance of the community in the city. But what is interesting about the Calcutta Chinese community in Toronto, and particularly the Calcutta Hakkas, is that they have, in diaspora, they have been literally transformed into diaspora. And that is where I got the inspiration for, for the diaspora title. It's, uh, I should mention here that it's, it's not a coin that I, uh, it's not a term that I coined. 
Um, I presented a paper at a conference in, in Calcutta in Doipan uh, Bhattacharya. He said, he coined the term diaspora to denote how migration was taking place from his neighborhood and how people in his neighborhood kind of kept in touch with others who, who were left back. Um, and with the Calcutta Chinese in Toronto, I found that the term diaspora fits really well because even though they had not resettled in, let's say, two or three uh, streets. They were scattered in some ways, but still in one part of the city. But it's the networks within the community which got transferred in an extraordinary way, to the extent that um, one person in, in Calcutta told me that, you know, if something happens in Calcutta within the community, the Calcutta community won't know but the community in Toronto will be the first to know. So it's, it's a really um, well-knit, well-networked um, community there. However, um, even though they have reproduced that sense of, uh, of connection in Toronto, there is a sense of loss of the close-knit community space that they had in, in Calcutta. And it is quite strong, particularly amongst the older generation. So Mi Ling, um, she's a Hakka Chinese woman who now lives in Toronto, and she said, I kind of thought that people were so lonely here, they didn't have their walls around them anymore, yet they were so afraid. There was a spillover from the 62 war, and the first migrants were more scared. They kind of transported what was in Calcutta. Some family tried to keep alive rituals, but it sort of lost, it, lost its significance. It is almost a forlorn way of doing it, because who are you affirming to? Where is the clan? And the clan, the regional identity within the community, so the, uh, the Chus and the uh, Chens, and these were particular clans, uh, it was quite strong. So it's almost like strangers in a strange land, and you change. Whereas in India, there's still some sense of community, and you can see it. Uh, you keep hearing the phrase, it is not the same here, but it is truly not the same. Okay. So a Calcutta diaspora. Uh, Denis and Donner, Henrika Donner, write that all neighborhoods are places of remembered pasts and imagined futures. In this paper, I have argued that neighborhood in South Asian cities is an important space of belonging, attachment, and memory, especially for minority communities like the Anglo-Indian and the Chinese. In Calcutta, the concentration of both communities in particular areas of the city has led to narratives of the neighborhood focused around specific community identities and also envisaging the neighborhood as a space of encounter and a space where friendships across both communities were forged. Large-scale migration of members of both communities created a narrative of loss focused around the neighborhood. Whilst this loss is as much a physical loss with actual changes taking place in the neighborhoods. It is also a loss which is imagined and narrated by those who have stayed back in Calcutta 
as well as those who have moved to London and Toronto. In the latter case, the idea of the neighborhood has traveled across diaspora, and as shown by the maps, its memory crystallized through the very spaces that have been lost. Both communities remember the neighborhood in distinct yet similar ways and engage with this memory to change and reshape the idea of community in diaspora. Whilst for Anglo-Indians, um, the sense of loss of the neighborhood merges into a wider Anglo-Indian identity in diaspora. For Chinese Calcutans, especially the Hakka Chinese, the diaspora is reproduced through close-knit community links and interactions. Although in this paper I've charted the narratives of the Anglo-Indian and Chinese neighborhoods uh, separately, <coughs> sorry, the neighborhood is equally a space through which both communities express a sense of commonality of experience. And that's why I was kind of drawing on this idea of Calcutta diaspora. Whilst the neighborhood is a space in and through which Anglo-Indian and Chinese Calcutans interacted in the city, in diaspora too, these friendships and the memory of inhabiting similar spaces in the city shape an idea for Calcutta diaspora. And to go back to the example of uh, the World Anglo-Indian Reunion and um, how that kind of plays into everyday multiculturalism in um, Toronto, in, in this case, um, I'd just like to make a point that in the Diaspora Cities project, um, what we were trying to do is to emphasize the importance of cities of departure alongside cities of destination within a wider diasporic uh, discourse. And the way both communities have kind of resettled in London and Toronto has a lot to do with the memory of particular spaces of particular neighborhoods um, in Calcutta that we still carry with them.